Welcome to Saints Cast, a football podcast brought to you by Southam United. Join us for an in-depth look into club, league, supporters, and everything you want to know on and off the pitch. We're getting the information straight from those who know it best. I'm Rian Tilly, and I'm here with Southam captain and co-host and my cousin, Brandon Hallmark. Hi, Brandon. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good, good. This week on the podcast, we've got a great guest. We are actually getting to speak to him for the second time. A uh, little technical difficulties uh, the first time around, but we're, we're really excited to have him back and uh, glad that we were able to make this conversation happen so that everyone else can hear it as well. But I will let Brandon introduce our guest this week. So much anticipated guests within uh, the football and Southern community. It is the gaffer, Rich K. Good evening, Rich. Good evening, guys. Hope you're well. We are. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much again for, for being here. Uh, we do really appreciate it. And uh, let's get into it. Last time that most people saw you or uh, last time that you were kind of out in front of supporters, the team was actually able to be playing. Uh, but since then, Season has been curtailed, um, kind of leaving the team without much to show for it, unfortunately, last season. But kind of get into it a little bit. What's coming up, um, the tournament that's going on and and what the club has coming next? Yeah, so obviously the the season before lockdown, I'd say the 2021 season has been curtailed. Um, however, in my view, it doesn't really feel like a season. It just felt like a, an extended pre-season, really. Um the season that felt like a, a full season was the season um, 1920, um, yeah. which we probably done about 85% of the games. But the last season, it didn't really feel like a season, to be honest. Um, we've obviously lockdown coming in and the extended lockdown. Um, but yeah, we're back at training. Um, the squad of 16, 17 is back at training um, and we're, we're ready to go. And we've played our first game in the tournament, got off to a bit of a flyer. Um, and we're looking forward to our next game, which is Wednesday against Asbury. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've we've spoken a little bit, but you've told me, and I think this is an amazing statistic, but over a thousand games as a player and a manager in non-league football over 20 years. That's a that's an amazing list of of things that you've done within football. So let's let's kind of talk about that, everything that that's happened sort of before Southam. Talk to us a little bit about your playing career, the 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 junior youth and and senior football that you're that you were able to play and kind of those the highlights that stick out in your mind? Yeah, so unfortunately it's 30 years ago because I'm 38 now and uh, I started playing when I was about seven or eight organised football. Um, predominantly looking back to probably the late 80s, early 90s, I was very much a street footballer. Um, different era where most of the uh, kids would be out on the uh, estate or out on the, on the local park and you probably have about 30 kids playing football. Um, and my best friend at the time was actually the Premier League referee, Stuart Atwell. Um, we both live in Neaton. He was my uh, best friend at the time. His dad, Martin, and another guy called Gary Moore ran a team called Jensen. Stuart got me along to training, um, and it was a little bit more organised. It's nothing like organised footballists today where you've got um, FA-level coaches. It's basically parents taking it back in the 80s and 90s, um, cutting oranges at half-time. Um, playing on 11 side pitches when you're eight, which wow. sounds absolutely crazy now, but that's how it was in the 80s and 90s uh, before mini soccer come in. Um, and, and really just took it from there. And I started playing for a team called Yenton um, in the Neaton and also played for Coton Hammers, two really strong teams at the time. And I was fortunate enough in my junior career to probably win everything that was on offer in terms of league titles, cups, police cup finals. 
Um, so very fortunate to play some very good teams at an early age. And then that progressed into the youth team in the Neaton Borough. Um, well, again, I was fortunate to do the League and Cup double um, alongside playing academy football for Jose at North Yorkshire and Hinkley College, where again, I won two English college titles, um, a regular college title. And obviously, um, I was lucky enough to uh, represent British colleges um, at that time. So, yeah, it's the junior to the youth pathway has been really successful and uh, it's great to look back and, um, yeah, very successful time. You think those those successes that you're talking about, do you think that uh, has really, like, do you think you draw on that when you're when you're coaching now? I think what it did from an early age, I think if you look at children nowadays, I think um, they can get medals and, and plaudits for, for just participating. Um, back then, it was very much win or lose. Mm. Um so you, you learned how to win and you learned how to lose. And it was a great learning curve, obviously, to lose um, and learn from your mistakes. Um, and obviously, like I said, I was fortunate enough to, to win a lot. Um, but from a young age, it probably gave me the platform to really get a taste of what a winning mentality is and obviously to win. Um, and you do take that forward. There's no denying if you're used to winning at a very early age to stay with you for, for most of well, for the rest of your life, really, especially when you're competitive. Um, what, so what type of player were you uh, position-wise and just kind of the qualities that you brought to the pitch when you were playing? Yeah, so again, obviously, I think Brandon was quite surprised last week um, <laughs> when I said I started out as a forward. So um, I was a pacey, very direct forward, really. So I played anywhere across the front line, played in number 10. Um, yeah, it was all about goals and assists. And again, I was very fortunate from an early age that I got picked up. I went to the Picker League tournaments, played against some fantastic players. And I was a Coventry City schoolboy for a couple of years before I went off, obviously, on to work with Jose at the academy. So I've been very fortunate to receive elite coaching from an early age. Um, and obviously, that has a big bearing, obviously, how far you can go in the game and, and the things that you take on to first-team football and the career you can make for yourself, especially when you've been coached really, really well. It does stay with you um, throughout your career. So, yeah, it was, I was a pacey, pacey forward, goals and assists. I always tried to get 15-plus goals a season. Um, and probably my assist stats were probably my, my biggest attribute. I was probably around, uh, you know, 20-odd assists a season for, for any team that I played for, especially in my younger times when I was at Aberston and Nuneet and Griff. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, very much about, obviously, being on the front foot, being an attacking player, trying to make a difference and being a match winner. Nice. So talk to us about when you stopped playing and then the, the progression into management. Was it always something that you planned on doing? Obviously, you know, Brandon, I've been, I work in the coaching sector um, I've got my own business now, but obviously I started off in the coaching sector when I was 21. So I had to do the old badges back then, which are like the junior managers. I did my level three by the time I was 21. Um, so that gave me obviously one foothold into obviously coaching. The company I was working for at the time, Sporting Dreams, we used to work with Leicester City. So we used to put on um, coaching seminars and, and camps and all that kind of stuff for Jerry Taggart um, and Muzzy, is it? So we used to run them. So I was around, obviously, professional environments a lot of the time. Um, so obviously working in the coaching sector it probably influenced me when I was getting towards the back end of my career. So obviously going to coaching because I've been around it from such, such a young age. Mm -hmm. Also being around elite coaches and obviously really top, top class coaches. 
um, from Coventry City with Jose. Um, again, all these people had really big influences on me. So when I did get to my late 20s, it was something that I really thought about. And again, Brandon, listening to your podcast, I think when you've captained sides as well, I think you do have to have them leadership qualities to captain the side in the changing room environment. And obviously you're the manager's right-hand man. You're the the manager's go-to person to police the dressing room. So all them qualities and leadership skills that you you obviously attain when you're a a club captain. They they transfer quite well, don't they, to management? Transfer, you know, straight into management. I'm not saying that every manager has to be a club captain or has to be very vocal in the dressing room. You know, there's all different types of managers and, different coaches but definitely for me you know having a stronger strong voice within the dressing room as a player having the respect of my managers the chairman the committee the board of directors whoever it definitely um held me in good stead to obviously go into management good and what you were saying about um all the people that you've worked with draws quite nicely onto what we want to talk about next and that's kind of who do you want to who do you draw inspiration from judging from um your facebook status today with Mourinho being sacked at your club spurs I very much doubt you take much inspiration from him, but is there is there a professional football manager that sticks in your head that you perhaps draw inspiration from? Um, obviously, I'm, I'm a big fan of football history. So as a football manager, it's not about, I don't view it as about reinventing the game. So you see a lot of coaches or you see a lot of coaches or managers that come out of um, the FA courses now. And I'll talk about obviously uh, DNA philosophy and buzzwords like that, which which are great. Um, but football hasn't changed that much since Don Revy was manager or Brian Clough or Bobby Robertson or Alex Ferguson, mm-hmm. Arsene Wenger, all them types of managers. The game's got quicker. It's more physical, you know, more technical in some aspects, but the game hasn't changed much. Um, so going back to obviously, you know, I'm very much a student of the football history. So I'd go back probably... Um, I love Terry Venables, uh, you know, I've studied Terry Venables very closely being a Spurs man. Um, Bobby Robertson, I don't think anybody, you know, what he did for England in the, in the 90s and the 80s, I don't think anybody could say that Bob Robertson was a great manager. And then probably the biggest influence professional manager through my childhood into like early adulthood would have to be Sir Alex Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 years at the top, kept reinventing the team, kept, you know, Kept the, it's not about getting to the top, which is, is, is hard in itself, but staying there and being the team to beat, which we know all about being in our league. Mm. It's what very, was very nice difficult. about Fergie was that it didn't all happen straight away, did it? There was no. two or three seasons where people were a bit like, hey, has this guy got what it takes? And, and now you look at him as probably the most famous football manager, maybe bar Ryan Clough, ever. He, which is fantastic. He, I mean, he, if you look back, he was on the verge of getting sacked at one time from Man United, mm. but they were patient. It's a different time again, but they were more patient. Then they reap the rewards over the next 20 years, but to be 20 years at the top and win Premier Leagues, FA Cups, League Cups, Champions Leagues, and keep reinventing the team and, and adding quality, bringing you through. I think he's probably a standout person that I look at as a professional manager and think, yeah. Yeah, probably agree Absolutely yeah. top of his game. Um, and then... More towards, obviously, kind of talking towards more towards 2020. Um, Richo Pochettino is a Spurs fan, had a massive influence on me. He was one of the first to probably, in, in England, brought in the high press, um, the high energy game. Then, obviously, you've got Pep Guardiola who's come in and obviously done the same. He's probably more possession-based. Jurgen Klopp, you know, he's, he's dominated with Liverpool past three years. He's kind of like rock and roll football. Um <laughs> He's very much front foot football, attacking football, high energy 
full press. So you do take bits from professional managers again, but, you know, I'd like to think as well, obviously work at the level that I do, you kind of, it's great looking at professional managers, but I've probably most identified with the coaches that have had a really big impact on me over the years, such as Jose, um, Ron Bradbury, um, Kenny Willis, and them types of managers are absolutely local legends in non-league football. Uh, you touched on kind of the the DNA philosophy and kind of those buzzwords and things, and also the the the, the styles of coaching that you you kind of look at as far as like the high pressing and, and high speed. But how would, is that how you would describe your your team play style, or um, and, and also like style of training and fitness and the the morals values values things that you bring to to the team? How how would you describe that? Yeah, so obviously I'm probably, you know, when I, when I go into to a club, so obviously, you know, the first point, you know, me at the start of the journey, so you're talking about pre-season. So the first thing you need to do is obviously plan the pre-season. Um, in terms of obviously philosophy and your DNA, obviously your DNA is your culture that you want to try, try and obviously um, create in your environment. And then your philosophy is, is made up of different coaching principles. So the, if I ever take a job on as a manager, and I'll go into a job, there's certain coaching principles that are non-negotiable. So, for example, um, high press, high energy, um, technically good on the football, um, quick attacking transitions, um, you know, ruthless teams in front of goals, teams that want to create chances and score a lot of goals, but also teams that, you know, have got a really, really high work ethic and are really organised mm-hmm. um, because it's not all about going forward and scoring goals. You have to obviously... You know, you have, you have to attack from a base. And and I spoke to somebody the other day and they said, look, your management career over the last four or five years, your teams have scored an enormous amount of goals. I think my Buckby team scored nearly 100 goals in the UCL. My Salvin team up to this point after, well, I think it's 32 competitive games after last Saturday, I think we've scored nearly 120 goals in 32 games. Wow. Um, and that's without the pre-season, pre-season goals. Um, but what you don't look at when when the team score that amount of goals, you don't look. You need to look beneath that and look at obviously how many goals were conceding. And my Buckby team had, you know, we kept a lot of clean sheets. And my, uh, the Salvan team definitely, we've got a very good defensive record as well. So it's about getting both both obviously ends of the pitch right. And uh, you can't win a game if you're not very good in both boxes. Yeah, and on the other side of that, um, kind of the other side from the football, how do you kind of manage? personalities and and everyone involved in the club from top to bottom but you know mostly the players as well how do you how do you how do you approach that side of it I think first and foremost is being a good person hmm. um, I, I try and treat the football club especially on match days and training days as a as a workplace environment as a professional environment so for example rearing like yourself or the other the other ladies on the liaison group um, who do a fantastic job on match days has to be said um, make sure you're very approachable. Um, make time for people. Speak to them about their families. Uh, speak to them about their jobs, how things are going, um, and then just try and build relationships. And then if you build a relationship and you build the trust, I think you know the rest will take care of itself. In terms of obviously, then try and obviously get your football philosophy across to the players, um, getting the players to buy into it, and then building that trust between the players trusting the manager, the manager. And the management team, and then the management team trusting the players to go out and deliver. And I think over the 18 months, we're now at a situation where the players trust the management fully in terms of obviously the, the process we go through at training. 
um, leading into preparation to the match days and the results we've had. And obviously, from a management point of view now, we've got total trust in the squad of players to deliver because over the course of the 18 months, the um, the consistency, consistency has been remarkable. Yeah. Cheers. So, in terms of, you talk about managing us, and obviously, we're not a Premier League club. We're not massively high up the football pyramid. How do, how do you approach managing a team with limited resources? We don't have a budget. We, what we are looking is we have very good facilities, but actually in terms of resource, we don't have masses and masses of resource. So how, how do you approach that? And when I say resource, I'm thinking we can't go and, and grab players nationally. They're very much plucked from a local kind of pool, aren't they? Yes, it's, it's a good question. I mean, obviously when we took over the job, going back two years ago now, I wanted every player to be within 30 minutes of the, of the football club. So we cast our net kind of Leamington, Warwick, Rugby, Daventry, Banbury, that kind of area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as you say, when you haven't got a budget or you haven't obviously got the resources that some of the non-league clubs have got, um, you, do, you do have to obviously be selective in terms of how you go about your recruitment because any manager at any level will tell you, your success as a manager will ultimately come down to your recruitment. Mm. Um, your tactics, your formation, your setup, that's all well and good. But if you don't recruit well, get the right characters, get the right blend into the dressing room, get the quality into your dressing room, you can't be successful. Um, so, you know, going back to two years ago, you were there, Brandon, when we did the open trials. Mm-hmm. Um, we got people along. Obviously, I know you, you obviously got recommended, as did a few others. Went through a process of obviously going through the trials, got it down to around about 20, ran with that throughout, throughout pre-season. And then obviously we started off, you know, pre-season at the start was, uh, we were missing a few at times, as you do every pre-season. It started off a bit ropey and then we got stronger and stronger. And then we went into it and we haven't looked back since. And, and on the other side of that, as far as, you know, obviously you've got your own constraints within the team, but as far as, planning for the teams that you're playing, you know, with, I guess, kind of in non-league football, there's sort of a flux of players in and out of clubs, which probably makes opposition assessment a little bit more difficult, maybe, but mixed with time constraints for training, things like that. Do you focus on a specific game plan? I guess, for example, like not spending too much time adjusting to opponents each week, or do you go in ready to play reactionary kind of counterpunch and kind of react to what they bring to the match? It's, it really does depend on obviously the level of opposition we're playing. You know, some some of the some of the teams will have a YouTube channel, and you'll be able to obviously scout, obviously match highlights, so you get a fair idea going into next game. Um, if you're talking more like step six, step five, step five teams that we've played, um, but again, the training the training is very much based around obviously things that we need to improve on that obviously I'll see and about making us a better team and then implementing it into the next game. So. When we go, when I go into the changing room before games, I, I very rarely touch on the on the opposition. Depend again, it doesn't matter if they're from step five, like we played Easington. Um, I didn't really go into any detail before that game. It was basically, look, we're a good team. I think we can we can go toe to toe with them, go out there and perform. Um, we've beaten step six teams. We've beaten step five teams, um, and the teams in our league, obviously, you know. Without obviously sounding, you know, trying to stay a little bit humble and and, and not be and not be too arrogant, um, I think we're the team to beat in Hellenic Two, the whole Hellenic Two. So the emphasis is on us really for every league game at the level we're at at the minute is to go out and win the game. Um, 
obviously, if it doesn't go to plan, then obviously you have to adjust and, and uh, make changes. But on the whole, you know, we're, we're very positive in dress, dressing room before every game. It's if we turn up, if we prepare right in training, if we have a fully fit squad, um, we feel we can beat anybody. Yeah. I'll, I'll ask this one because I kind of know that your responsibilities aren't just on a management sense, but your responsibilities around the club, it sounds like you have a very busy kind of role within Southern. How much do you step away from football and can you remove yourself from it or is it mentally a constant part of your life? Does it build up kind of after a Wednesday when game day is approaching and you've seen us for the week or is it something that's kind of always on your mind? Yeah, you obviously we spoke about this in the previous podcast, but in, you were quite surprised by my answer. Mm. I'm very good at I'm very good at separating it. I'm very good at separating from my family life, my business, to obviously the football. Um, again, over the course of eighteen months, we've only, we've only lost four games, and they were all to higher level teams. So, in terms of obviously having disappointing weekends, they've been few and far between. Mm-hmm. So. Obviously, we're in a we're in it at the minute. We're in a winning, winning rhythm, winning team, winning club. It's great. Obviously, if we do obviously get the step up at some point, which we will, which is fully deserved, then we are going to lose more matches. So then it's about obviously, you know, the best thing that was said to me was never to get too high in football and never get too low. And I've always been very good as a player and a manager at not getting too emotional about obviously the final result because you've always got the next game. There's always a process of training, especially if you're well coached or well managed. Um, there's always a process to put it right. Um, but in terms of obviously getting frustrated and being disappointed, yeah, it's probably there for a little bit. Um, but by the time I've got to the to, to the bowling green, we've sat down, we've had a beer, and we're, we're talking about obviously what we're doing at the weekend and talking about family and and jobs and general life. Then I'm pretty good at separating it and obviously on move on to the next one. Again, I don't think it's healthy for, you know, as a manager as well to to really overanalyze things. It, yeah. Yeah, and go over things because I don't think I think you waste too much energy. Mm. I think you waste too much energy. And if you focus too much on the negatives going from game to game, you can kind of overanalyze. And I have been caught up in that, you know, when I was Bookby manager and we had a lot of injuries and the league form wasn't going very well. I tried everything, I changed, you know, I brought players in because we had half the squad out injured and I tried to do too much when really you just got to sometimes take a step back and, and and see it for what it is and say look I'm doing as much as I can um, and I'm a big believer in what will be what, what will be will be and ultimately at the level we're playing at we're there to enjoy it if you, if you don't get three points there's nothing you can do to change it get to get to the boozer have a point and, and you move on to the next one like you say mm. um Moving the conversation kind of onwards, and um, this has been a really interesting conversation to have with other people that we've had. Um, getting involved with Southam, everyone's got a completely different background, a different story, and a different yeah. a different path into the football club. Just tell us about mm. what that process has been like for you, and, and the kind of similarities and differences there are at Southam compared to other clubs, for example, Bookby that you've managed. So, obviously, I left Bookby probably five or six years ago, I had a, had a really successful time there. We did well in the league, finished top six. Didn't quite get them back up to step five, uh, which was obviously the remit of the club at the time. Um, did well in the FA Cup, got to qualifying rounds in the FA Cup. And then, you know, obviously I left the club, mutual agreement. Club wanted to go in a different direction, which is, which is fine. Um, and then I, I obviously had the... Ollie was born. 
around the same time when the season was ending with Buckby. Obviously, I've got two young, very young kids, um, young family. So I had 18 months out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was the best time I've had, to be honest. So, you know, if any manager or coach is listening to me, li- sorry, listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. when you feel you've kind of at burnout and yeah. at that point, always, you know, it's not a bad thing to drop out. Some people won't drop out and give themselves the rest that they need because they want to stay in the game. And I think if I drop out of the game now, I, won't, I'm pro- I probably won't get back into it. Mm, yeah. However, it's, it's the best thing that I've ever done. I took 18 months out, loads and loads of self-evaluation, looking at myself, what did I do well? What didn't I do well? Um, and then obviously you want to try and bring it into, into your next job. And if it wasn't for that 18 months, I don't think we would have been as successful at Salvam as we have been over the past 18 months because the amount that I learned about myself in that 18 months helped me enormously in the next job, which is obviously the Salvam job. In terms of obviously coming into, obviously how I come into the job, you know, the setup that was sold to everybody was um, the new ground, Bobby Hancock's Park. Then we were going to have a director of football, um, which is going to oversee all areas of the football club. And obviously the director of football time offered me the job. Um, I've been friends with the with Wayne for, for many, many years. Um, felt it was a good fit as an ex-player. Um, what was sold at the time sounded amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it probably wasn't the level that I wanted to drop down to, if I'm being perfectly honest. Having managed in the uh, in the FA Cup and the FA Vars and kind of, the, you know, the top end, the higher end of non-league football. Um, but the opportunity, the, the you know, journey to obviously relaunch the football club and take on a journey was, was as an ex-player as well, was, was too hard to turn down. Um, obviously, it became clear that obviously what was sold at the start due to finance or whatever was going to be different. Um, I was told I was so getting I'll, a Salvam towel and I still haven't got one. I'm fuming about that. <laughs> yeah. All everyone yeah. wants is Salvam towel and a pair of sliders. <laughs> yeah. You don't care so, about your water sprinklers. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously there was, there's, there's been a lot of changes. Um, obviously took the job on. Obviously the chairman and director of football had a major falling out, which is well, well documented. Um, Obviously, as first, as first team manager, obviously I was put, put in smack bang in the middle um, where you know, one of the first conversations we had was, look, if it, if it doesn't play out how we want it to do, as a director of football and as, as a chairman, please don't kind of put me in the middle. Um, but obviously that was always going to happen once the, the, the major fallout happens. Um, but then, you know, once all that was kind of going on in the background, you know, I'm, I'm the first team manager and uh, my focus, again, we talk about being able to, uh, be professional and separate uh, your mind from things that are going on and being professional. So I was able to get on with the job and we had a really successful season, um, just missing out on the league title. Um, we were 15 points clear and and obviously played 85% of the games. But obviously all that going on in the background, I was, I was, I was, it was pretty easy, not easy, but it was, I, I could do it in terms of separating the jobs, what was going off, what was happening off the pitch and what was happening on the pitch. Um, yeah, but that's how I basically got come to the club via a director of football um, and obviously sold, sold the dream lot. Many of us were uh, back in, what, what, what would it be now? I think it was... 2018, it was, back in 2018. It was, yeah, it was June 2018 because I took on the under-15s for a season. So they said, look, we're not going to go with the team this year. We're going to get everything in place. 
and then obviously we're going to go with the first team in 2019. So I did the 15s. I had a really, really good season with the 15s for a year. And then obviously 2019 kind of went into the first team manager's job. Nice. It, you kind of touched on the, the the idea that you were sold when you came into it. And I know that, like you said, a few things happened. But if anybody's looking at Salem as a football team, you can tell that something's building. What is that environment that you're building? What's kind of that that pathway, um, not only for, for younger players, but also like for the first team establishing themselves as I, I think the goal, I, I think you've said it a few times is, is to get up to maybe like a step five level. So what are all those goals and what's that environment that you're building? I think, you know, I think you have to look at what we've done, what I've, what I've managed to do really well. And I think obviously with Ryan and the, the, the players and the liaison group we've got now, is we've been able to strip it right back. So obviously we're disappointed, obviously that some of the promises that, that didn't quite obviously materialise. Um, we spent the first season playing up at the college, which which wasn't ideal. But then obviously we we went over to Bobby Hancock's Park at the start of what what would have been last season, um, and we got that up and running. And um, since that point, obviously we've put stuff into place. So we've got a group of volunteers that's that's led by Tyler as first team secretary. Then we've got the volunteers, which we call the liaison group. Um, fantastic group of, of of ladies, which obviously Ray and you're part of. Um, Brandon's girlfriend Sophie is part of Claire, uh, Sarah Champkins, yeah, it's a, um, it's Sarah really Roundtree, Liz, yeah, Liz. Lizzie is COVID officer. Yeah, so absolutely fantastic group. So I made the decision. Kind of, I knew we were going to have to go non-budget. That was obviously last time the lads kind of got expenses was uh, back end of two thousand nineteen. Sorry, December two thousand nineteen. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, but the players only picked up kind of two or three months expenses. The pandemic hit, obviously nobody, you know, there's no budget or anything like that. So I kind of made, you know, I sat down with the club and said, look, we need to go back to basics, strip it all back. First team needs to go back to non-budget, um, put a really good volunteer group in place and let's get Bobby Uncocks up and running. Um, so from September 2020, we got the snack bar up and running, uh, which is fantastic. Um Obviously, the pitch is fantastic. Um, we managed to get Ben, um, Lee Constable's uh, brother in, to, uh, who works at the Polo Club. So he does some part-time stuff for us. Um, Brandon will agree the pitch is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, it's about stripping it all back, really, and say, look, we're all disappointed that it didn't happen how we planned it to be. But not every move is a fairy tale, is it, at the end of the day? So sometimes you've got to see it for what it is, and then you've got to change course. And uh, luckily... You know, probably one of my hardest discussions or conversations that I was most nervous about as a, as a manager was breaking it to the players that we were going to have to go non-budget for a long time or for the foreseeable future um, and then seeing how they reacted. But to a man, they were like, OK, Rich, really, you know, we love the environment. You know, we love playing at Salvan. We love playing for you and Ryan. They love playing as a team. You know, they love that. You know, we've got, you know, they're very close as teammates. Um, so straight away, they turned around and said, look, Rich, you know, we'll play for nothing. You know, the, t- the team's successful, the club's on the right path. Um, and to be honest, you know, that's probably one of, you know, going into that conversation, I thought this could go either way. Mm. Um, this could definitely go either way because if the players turn around and say, look, we've been sold this yeah. and we want this or we're off. Which we would have had every again. right to do, in fairness. Mm. Absolutely, you know, and, and, but again, 
when we relaunched the club in 2019, the reason why it folded in the first place is because the club went with a budget. Mm-hmm. The budget was pulled and the manager walked out and then all the players went with him and then yeah. the club never recovered. I think ultimately we need to look at what level we're playing at and is it actually justifiable to pay us to play at a level that, let's be honest, isn't fantastic. Well, but, and that, and that yeah. kind of leads into kind of the expectations. I mean, yeah. kind of what, what you guys are building to, doesn't it? Uh, what I've tried to... Well, because we stripped it back in September, it's, it's very much been about Look, let's just let's just let's have loads and loads of fun as a group. Mm-hmm. Let's run with it, and let's run with it, and let's see where where it can go. Mm-hmm. You know, none of the players get paid, none of the staff get paid. We're all volunteers. We all do it because we love we love Saturday afternoons or the Wednesday evenings. We love being together. We love being out and training pitch. Mm-hmm. So we stripped it all back, and it's basically been look. We've created an environment now where. Everybody who comes to the football club comments on how much of a family club or family atmosphere it feels, first team match days, which number one is fantastic because everybody, you know, you want everyone to feel welcome and come back and watch the team. Well, ultimately, that's because everybody that remains is there for a sole purpose to play and enjoy yes. football. No one's there to pick up yes. cash. We're all here because we enjoy each other's company. We enjoy playing football and it, and ultimately we've been provided with a, fun, a fantastic place to do so. So ultimately you're left with a team with no egos and a, and a group of good lads. And I think, Brandon, if I come back onto previous jobs where I've had a budget, you know, for example, at Book being that, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you're when you in the trenches and times are difficult, you do look at people and say, what is your motivation? Is, it, is your motivation 30, 40 quid that you're picking up or is your motivation to be the best player, you know, to have a really successful semi-professional career, um, want to be part of a good football club with a long history, want to play for a good management team, um, you know, because like the things that we've done this year, you know, we haven't, we're not cash rich, but we make, you know, since September 2020 to this point, you know, we look after you tremendously. You know, we've got two brand new kits, you know, we've got brand new track suits, warm up tops, um, fantastic pitch to play on, um, great training facilities when we're going to add Southern College for the winter training. So I've played for teams where I've been paid, I've, been, I've played for teams where I've not been paid. And I have to be honest, you know, when you're getting paid to play uh, and you're a semi-professional player, there, you know, there is pressure on you. There is an obligation on you. Um, you do have to produce. When you're not getting paid, then, the, you know, you go back to when you were a junior player a little bit more and that fun element does come back. Um, and that love of the game does come back a lot more when you're not under the pressure of obviously having to produce because you're getting paid or you're playing in front of a big crowd. Um, I've done both. Um I've had some fantastic times in both, but obviously when I wasn't getting paid, when we were non-budget at the Griff and when we were non-budget at Salvum, you know, I had some absolutely fantastic times. So, you know, hopefully from a player's point of view, um, the biggest thing now going forwards, especially after the year we've had, is how much fun can we have over the course of a year, two years, three years? Where can we take it, you know? I've just put out, you know, on the supporters page, we're all going to Blackpool for a Jolly Boys outing. Um, something that I've put on, you know, that's something that I want to do. You know, the lads have had such a tough year, especially, you know, being young, you know, looking back to when I was 17, 18, and, you know, not going out, not socialising, that kind of stuff. Hopefully now we can, yes, we want to be very competitive and take the football very seriously, but can we have can we have some amazing times off the pitch as well? Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at at the minute. Um, five years from now, where where will the team be? 
Good question. Um, obviously, the facilities like Brandon Switcher are fantastic. So I think from a playing point of view now, it's all ready to go. Um, probably just need the dugouts uh, finalising um, to drop that in. Hopefully, if we go up to step six, if we get, obviously, if we get the uh, green light from the FA. Um, but it's a good question. I think, we're, you know, you look at the, the squads, you look at the management, uh, you look at how we've progressed over the last 18, 18 months. Mm. Um, you know, I've gone on record. This is, you know, I spoke to Brandon on the first podcast. This is by far the best squad I've put together. Um, in terms of quality and depth. And I think that was probably shown in our first game at Heathington, yeah. um, where, you know, Brandon and Brandon and Ben have missed out. You know, that's our captain and vice captain have missed out. And we've gone and won the game 8-1 yeah. um, and played some superb stuff on the day. So the squad's, the squad's in place. I think the squad's probably step five. You know, I don't think if we went into step five, I think we'd be comfortable. Um, but the, the exciting part about this squad is, is that I feel we can challenge so I feel we can obviously go into the league and challenge. We can go into cups and challenge, um, which is exciting because you don't want to be in a situation. I know we've talked about, obviously, we've been non, we're non-budget and obviously we want to have loads of fun and stuff like that. But we want to be very competitive at the end of the day. And last thing I want to do is be a manager of a team that's kind of like sat in mid-table, got nothing to play for and, yeah. and going through the motions. So the good thing about the squad we're at at the minute, I do feel we can challenge in all competitions. Um, and to, in answer to your question, if, if you talk about a five-year plan, I think the aim for this squad to progress together um, and keep adding one or two like we have done this season would be ultimately we want to bring FA Cup, FA Vice Football back to Bobby Hancock's Park and probably be on par with where Racing Club are at the minute, you know, step forward. You, you talk about the game at Headington soaking wet. But it was a great result, 8-1. Um, what was it like getting past that first match? Were there any kind of pre-match nerves? Were we worried about the two new lads that actually started? Um, we've got Kieran, um, Brady and Ryan Webb both actually had fantastic games. What have you seen about Kieran and Ryan that you're particularly excited about? So, obviously, you were training, Brendan, on the Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So I said to you boys on the Wednesday, this is going to be a really tough game because... They really uh, challenged Edenton. us last time, didn't they, if I remember? Yeah, he, yeah. Yeah, we beat them four three, didn't we? I think yeah. I think we beat. beat we were four, four one up three. with about fifteen minutes to go, and then they started stuffing yeah. goals past us. <laughs> yeah, so but that was very early on when we come together as well. So we're a completely mm-hmm. different group. We're a different animal now. So again, going into that game, I said to you boys, of training, this is going to be a tough game away from home. First game, you know, these are going to be bang up for it, especially obviously Salvin rocking into town as well. You know, especially Hellenic Division Two. Everyone wants to beat us, you know, Brandon, from yourselves. You know, there's a, you know, if, if te- teams want to turn us over, you know, I think they, they'll put a lot more effort in against us than they do with other teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going into that game, I thought, you know, this could be a tricky game. Obviously, the weather weren't great and stuff like that, but I knew we would win the game in the warm-up. Mm-hmm. So I looked mm-hmm. at our warm-up, I looked at our warm-up and looked at the attitude, and then I looked at their warm-up and I thought, these are in trouble today. Just because, again, I come back to as a manager, the preparation we've put into the game. So the training that's gone before it and also the warm-up, I thought, I looked over at them and thought, yeah, this, the, these, are in, these are in trouble today. And then obviously we scored after, 50, was it 10, 15 seconds? And then we were 5-0 up after 30 minutes. And then obviously we can make changes and we made a couple at half-time. It was great to use the squad. Yeah. Um, and then we ran out winning 8-1. Now, 
if you look at where Hen and Chen are in the league, you'd probably say they're a top four or five team at step seven mm-hmm. in our league. And we've absolutely dismantled them. However, I think that's probably more down to the where we're we're at as a squad and that where we've the journey we've been on over the last 18 months. I think we're a different animal, you know, we're ruthless. You know, our pressing game when we get it right is probably very unique to what a lot of teams come up against. Um, and if it does all click on the day, then we can really, really, you know, we can batter teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was kind of how it, play, it panned out on the day. That was a first, that was the lad's first game after six months. So we basically played Tame November the third. Then we've played um, Hedington April six months later. Um, so to, to you know, three training sessions under the belt, and then to go out and win eight one, and you know, but a lot of the things I was really pleased about was the stuff we've, we've had three sessions. A lot of the stuff that we didn't train in, like we kind of stripped it back again, went back to obviously the pressing, um, the patterns of play that we were looking for, uh, and just slight little tweaks that we've made tactically that we felt we've uh, myself and Ryan felt would help the team. Um, they, they, they put them all into practice on the day and it was a really, really good performance. Coming on to your next question about the two debutants, so Kieran and Ryan, um, again, when you bring players into the football club, it's not just about the ability that you bring in. You want, you know, the character you bring in needs to fit into your environment and into your changing room. And the, the, the two lads have been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, you know, It's really been seamless, hasn't it, the way they've come in? Training, commitment, um, if you, if you little things like if you message them, they message straight back or they will message that same day. So communication's good. Uh, they train really well. Obviously, uh, Kieran's been coached very well. He was, he was a Southern Youth team player, then he's gone out and played for different teams, played for Buckingham, uh, played well against us when he, we actually played Buckingham. Um, and then obviously, Ryan's been out playing for the army in Germany. Um, and obviously, it was, you know, bringing Ryan in. Ryan was absolutely fantastic because um, of his, you know, the physicality brought to, I think Brandon will agree, the physicality yeah. brought to the first game, I was like, whoa. <laughs> it's something yeah. we needed as well, to be honest. Yeah. It's definitely something we needed in terms of obviously, you know, when we, if you look back to the previous season, you know, I felt definitely in the back four area, there was, there was a physicality problem and there was a personnel problem that we needed to rectify um, to obviously progress. So bringing Ryan in, obviously, you know, in terms of his physicality, again, his experience, um, it's been fantastic. And, and Kieran's, uh, you know, Kieran's very good. He's a very good footballer and, you know, technically very good. So both of them have, uh, like Brandon said, uh, come, into the, come into the team uh, very, very well. Agree. Um, as you know, we've got a, a home game Wednesday against Adderbury. What are kind of your expectations um, as a coach for the players? Again, obviously, you know, we, we've we've had quite a few training sessions. We've had a good result. Well, if we, you count Evensham, obviously we're on six points. So I think it's Adderbury's first competitive game or probably, I think they've played a, a friendly against their reserves, but it's their first competitive game. Again, you know, the focus will be on all about, you know, producing what we produced against Hedenton and uh, the same coaching principles that we're looking for in terms of our energy, our work ethic, our, our quality on the ball, um, being ruthless in front of goal, all them kind of things, you know, over the past 18 months, it's been quite easy because, you know, the things that we've done really well, you want to continue. So you go into the dressing room before every game, you say, look, these are the, these are the, these are the coaching principles. These, these are the principles we need to stick to to be a, a, good, a very good team, boys. You know, if we do these things and we perform, then I've got no doubt we'll win the game. 
Mm-hmm. I think, to be honest, going into that game, I think they've got a lot more problems and worries than us. We're going to get into our quick fire question round, have a little bit of fun, kind of first thing that comes to mind. I've, I've, we've got some of the same questions in there because I like some of your answers, but I have switched up a few. Yeah. Um, so okay. we'll, we'll try to catch you off guard with them. All right, here we go. Home cooked meal or a takeaway? Uh, takeaway. Uh, read a book or go for a walk? Oh, difficult one. Uh, probably read Pitch a book. Read. I do like my- no, you I can't do- read. No. <laughs> Pictures yeah, I, only. I do look- I do love an autobiography. I've read, uh, I've read Harry Venables. Uh, you read Harry Redknapp's. Harry Redknapp's, yeah. Read Harry Redknapp's, brilliant. Um, Alex Ferguson's. Um, yes, yeah, so I've read quite a few autobiographies. Yeah, good reads. Oh, okay. Nice. I'm going to fire in with you win a radio contest and get a free lifetime supply of one thing. What are you choosing? Oof. Good question. Mm. So. If I win the radio contest, I get that whatever I want free for the yeah. rest of my life. Yeah. Mm. Mine would be McDonald's chicken bits. McDonald's chicken bits. Yeah. Not wow. bad. I was going to go a bit more. Like, I would probably. I'll, practical. Yeah. <laughs> if, you to, if, you, if you're talking food, I'd probably go KFC. Oh, okay. nice. Okay. Yeah. A limited amount of KFC. That would go down well with the family as well. For You'd be so fat. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, a limited KFC would be good from a food point of view. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll go for a more practical one. Would be like something like uh, if I won a radio contest and had something unlimited, something like unlimited petrol or something like that. Oh, that is that's actually what a good I was going to yeah. say. That was my answer. I, I, I hate buying petrol. Yeah. Hate <laughs> you it. You were just saying that. Something we something we do a lot, obviously, playing Southern. Or or because I'm a big Sky Q fan, it'd probably be unlimited Sky Q because I. We've touched on this before. I hate camping. So I do like my mod cons. So, you know, unlimited Sky Q would do as well. Um, you get to take the family on a full on paid for holiday, everything included. Where do you take the family? Yeah. So, you know, I think discussion with Lindsay, I think when, once the kids are old enough and can obviously enjoy it, we'd like to do kind of like four weeks around America, mm-hmm. um, traveling state to state. So, probably like four or five days in Washington, four or five days in San Francisco, four or five days in New York, that kind of thing. Um, Australia would be, I do fancy Australia. However, I don't like snakes and spiders. And yeah, one of my my old best mates, Carl Dutton, who lives on the Gold Coast, uh, he's put me off when he he went to get out, he went to his pool the other day and uh, went to get out a lilo from his his, his, uh, kind of container and there's a python in there. Oh, yeah, it's another uh, from me. Yeah, done. <laughs> yeah, I can't even watch him on telly. You can spend a week following someone around and learning as much as you can from them. Who are you choosing? This doesn't have to be football. Um, Tom Cruise, massive Tom Cruise fan. Interesting okay. answer. Is that because you're both five foot six? Or... <laughs> I'm, just, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I'm a bit taller than Tom Cruise. But, oh, it's um, not hard, is it, to be fair? Bless yeah. his heart. Uh, yeah, but um, I'm yeah. Again, if you're talking about obviously, yeah, I'm a massive Tom Cruise fan. Watched every single film of Tom Cruise. Oh, I was from, not expecting that answer. Yeah, no, right from the eighties. The only one I haven't watched is Born and Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah, but massive, massive Tom Cruise fan. Um, probably oh, my okay. favourite film's Top Gun. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Maverick. Yeah, I can't wait to watch a new one. Is he in it? Yeah, Maverick, yeah, top oh, one too. Okay. What a guy. Okay, yeah, that'll be good. 
What is the best piece of advice you've learned that you would definitely pass on to your kids or any young people that you work with? Um, be respectful, um, good manners and work hard. Have a massive work ethic. Nothing's given to you on a plate in, in life. Um, have a massive work ethic um, and attack every day. I like that. And I, I kind of, I loved this answer last time, so I'm hoping you're going to give the same one. Um, this is something that we've all done. It's something we're all going to add to. <laughs> give us your club playlist song edition. Right, so... I, I could lie and uh, <laughs> no, don't lie. Now. Give us the truth. We know the answer. Right. So there's, there's, uh, I'm a big rock fan. So you could take any from kind of Queen, Bon Jovi, going that kind of way. However, you guys probably know, speaking to you previously, that I'm a, I'm a big Backstreet Boys fan. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So oh, if, if, yeah. So shout out to Brian. And Howie and uh, <laughs> we should try and get them to a game. That'd yeah. be unbelievable. And, and and Nick and uh, the rest of the gang. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, I don't know if you're getting ready for Vegas or because they're for a residency in Vegas. Um, should have gone there yeah, instead of got, Blackpool. I know if they've got if they've got a spare hour and listen to this. Um, my all-time dream would be to be on stage with the Backstreet Boys. Oh, um, we need to. Just, it'd be absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. I, I saw recently James Corden did it and it was so good. Oh, um, cool. If you're taking two songs from the Backstreet Boys for the playlist, which I'm sure probably won't be on it, but it'd be, it'd have to be the biggest, for me, the biggest song in the 90s was I Want It That Way. Yeah. Um, Big track. Absolute, absolute anthem. You can't not sing that. Everyone knows the words, yeah. even if you've never learned them. Yeah. yeah. So, as long as you love me, that's another one. Um, quit playing yeah, games yeah. with your heart. There's, there's quite, there's, there's loads. Again, but obviously that's where I went to college and kind of Loughborough and that kind of stuff. So very much <laughs> when you were going out, when you're going out and socialising, it was very much kind of like pop music. Yeah. Um, so that you obviously went out to and obviously in the, in the nightclubs and stuff like that. But if you're talking about obviously one for the playlist, I'll probably go for some Queen or Bon Jovi. I'd go yeah, for that'd Queen. Yeah, that'd be welcomed. Queen. Queen would be probably a bit of It's a Kind of Magic. Or if you're going for Bon Jovi, I listened to it the other day, it would be It's My Life. I love that song. Yeah, oh, yeah good track. And I think something that would be a nice way to close, Rich, is, and it's ultimately the reason why we're doing these podcasts. It's a reason why we're emphasising social media. We're trying to up the profile of the football club. We really want, uh, our goal for everything, isn't it, is to just get more fans into the ground. We want to play in front yeah. of people. We want to raise the profile of the team. We want to get bigger. We want to expand. So what is your message for people listening, for, for people local in Southam, the people that ultimately we want at our, our ground? What's your message for the, for the fans? So first off, obviously, thank you to everybody that's been coming to games because when we did get back to Bobby Hancock's Park, we did notice a big, a much bigger turnout. Um, so hopefully we, we can continue that. Obviously, yourselves, obviously, Brandon and Rian, pushing the social media, doing an absolutely fantastic job. So thank you on behalf of the club to both of you. Um, really, really taken off. I think I looked at, uh, again, a bit of a geek, but I looked at obviously from last year to this year, and I think our social media, in terms of our likes and all that kind of stuff, it looks like it's up about 200% on where it was. Mm. Um, I know podcasts like this are obviously getting played in America with Rian's family, and we've had people from Germany and France and Spain listening to it. Um but in terms of local community, obviously, just come out. If you want to come out and watch a, a young, vibrant team, 
uh, it's been very successful in the past 18 months. It wants to keep getting better. That wants to obviously take the, the 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 first team in the club back to the FA Cup, FA Vice Football. Come down and watch us on a Saturday because uh, you know some of the football we've produced over the last 18 months has been absolutely superb. And uh, just 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 touching on that, actually um, speaking to one of the supporters has been a regular for Southam over the past 50 years. They've actually said that this Southam team has played the best best football he's seen. Um, which, which is a massive compliment. Um, yeah. You know, I played in a very good Southern team and we've had Southern teams in the past that have done very, very well. And for somebody that's been around the football club for nearly 40, 50 years to say it's the best football he's seen is a, is a big compliment. So, you know, again, we've highlighted in the, um, in the podcast, nobody's getting paid at the football club. You know, we all love the club. We all want to do the best we can for the club. Um, and it'd be great to obviously get, get more people down to Bobby Hancock's Park. Hopefully we've got some fantastic tournament games coming up in the knockout yeah. rounds. Yeah. And also, and also we haven't obviously made it public yet, but we've got a fantastic pre-season schedule um, booked in as well against some very, some high quality opposition um, that obviously finishes with the uh, Jolly Boys out into Blackpool. Everybody welcome. Well, Rich, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us um, again. <laughs> we really appreciate you doing that, learning about you and the club uh, and everything that you've, you've been able to provide. But uh, insight's been great. We really appreciate it. So good luck with um, the next match on Wednesday. Congratulations for the previous match. Fantastic win. And uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you. And for everyone else, thank you for listening to our podcast. Don't forget uh, more episodes, other content. I know we discussed this now a few times, but uh, get on get on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Spotify, Apple, everywhere. Leave us a rating, review while you're there. And um, thank you, Brandon, for being with me. No worries. See you next time. Yep. See, ya. See everyone next time. Thanks. <laughs>